Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Welcome in to the DNVR Draft Podcast presented by Manscaped. I'm Henry Chisholm, and I have Andre Simone. Well, not here with me, but on my computer, so that's yeah. fun. How's it going, Dre? Yes. How's it going? Very fun. Not as fun as in person, but still fun. Doing great, man. How are you doing? I'm, you know, I'm going to go get a speaker later because mine blew out. I ordered one like, oh. to, for the curbside pickup with Best Buy, so I'm going to go pick that up. I'm going to come back here. I'm going to turn on probably like maybe our Broncos podcast, uh, the rest of the the Denver sports podcast, maybe play some music and then just watch a bunch of college tape and write some uh, scouting reports. Fun. Good. Yeah. So it sounds like it's, this is on pace to be the best day of my quarantine so far. Nice. Uh, Sounds good, man. You got to (laughs) keep, keep trucking. (laughs) How how are you uh, doing? Oh, good. Just uh, keeping busy with all this draft stuff we're pumping out, so can't complain. All right. Um, before we get into stuff, there's a whole bunch we're going to cover today. Uh, we yeah, got well. mock draft to talk about. We've got some uh, rumors about the tackles, and we're going to talk about that, of course. Uh, then we're going to talk about all the uh, front seven prospects in this draft, who fits with the Broncos, um, what they could be looking for in some of these guys. And then, of course, we finish the show with your questions. And uh, it sounds like you all came through for us today. Yeah. But before all that, we got to tell you about Manscaped and all of our great friends over there. Um, it is so important to take care of your balls um, because they take care of you. Here, and here, the least man. you could do is just pick up a lawnmower 3.0 uh, at 20% off, by the way, using the code DNVR20, also free shipping. Um, but you'll get that. It's a one-time cost. And then forever you will be just in the perfect shape that you want to be in down there. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, great for the shaping. It's got the skin guard. It's got the light. And you can use it in the shower or bath or wherever because it's water resistant. So I wonder, it's just about everything. Have we tried it in the bath yet? Because that'd be interesting. I mean, no. What happens like if it's totally submerged? Like if you, if like your wa- the water is like, I don't know. That'd be interesting, trying to shave underwater, you know? Yeah, I mean, that I wouldn't necessarily advise. Uh, I don't know. Well, I'll, I'll check it out and see how it goes. Um, actually, no, that sounds like it could actually be really dangerous now that I think of it. Um, but yeah, the, it's, it's a great product. All of their products are spectacular. The ball deodorant in these times is, you know, sent by the gods, in my opinion. Um, so definitely go to manscaped.com. Use that code DNVR20, save 20%. That also gets you free shipping. And uh, it's just a great way to treat yourself in these times. Um, 
let's talk first about uh, Daniel Jeremiah. And we're going to be talking a lot about Daniel Jeremiah in this first segment. Um, let's start here. He tweeted on Tuesday that he's talked to two GMs. He said, or here's the tweet. I talked to two GMs in the last 24 hours and both believe Georgia tackle Isaiah Wilson will go in the first round. That's too rich for me, but it looks like it's going to happen. Betting on the upside. That's an interesting, uh, interesting tidbit there from Daniel Jeremiah, who we really trust in uh, these sure, well connected situations. Yeah. Um, let's start here. So he says that Isaiah Wilson is looking like he's going in the first round. Where would you feel like he should belong, according to your board, Dre? Yeah. So let's see right here. He is 69th on my board in this loaded tackle class. That puts him as the 12th offensive tackle in this class. Now, didn't I say just on the last pod that this this draft class has 12 offensive tackles I would take before a lot of the tackles that have gone been the first tackle taken in most years like Colton Miller and Garrett Bowles and so on and so forth this kind of goes to show you that because you know Wilson's raw and he's still you know he'd be a tough gamble because there's gonna be some athletic limitations because he's a we talk so much on these mock shows we've done with the Broncos guys about Becton and those size limitations Wilson's a 350 pound big boy himself and he only played right tackle for Georgia, just like, you know, Wirfs and Wills. Mm-hmm. Um, and even Lucas Niang is another right tackle who's going to go high in this draft. So it's teams that are going to end up gambling on that size and athleticism. And he was a highly touted recruit, maybe reached that potential at Georgia, but never exceeded those expectations. And I think what you can get out of this is size concerns aren't really going to be there. If you like Wilson, you're really going to like Becton. You're really going to like Andrew Thomas, who I know have been somewhat divisive Mm -hmm. um, in the draft community. And it goes to show that maybe these tackles will go fairly high. In that second tier, as we've said all along, it really is kind of a matter of who's your preference. Because some might like Cleveland, some like might like Jackson, some might like Isaiah Wilson or Shadik Charles or Prince Tegawanagu, you know? So when you hear this, the, this type of rumor, um, what does it make you think of these tackles? Like, how many do you think are going in the first round? If Isaiah Wilson is a first rounder, does that mean to you that he's probably the fifth, sixth guy on enough teams' boards that he will go in the first round? Or do you think that maybe this means that there will be eight or nine guys taken and he's the eight or ninth guy on a lot of these boards. Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, it really is. I mm-hmm. I could see eight guys go. Yeah, you know, it'd be. I could see it. I could see it too. And you could see the same thing with the receivers. You know, Justin Jefferson, Denzel Mims, maybe a uh, Rager, a Visca sneaks up into the first round. Higgins, yeah. Higgins for sure. Um, meanwhile, you- the tackles you have the big four. And then you have Austin Jackson, you have Wilson, you have Josh Jones. You have so many of these guys who have some first-round hype. Ezra Cleveland, he could be a first-rounder. And you could see half the picks in the first round of this draft be tackles and receivers. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. And maybe teams take advantage of that depth 
and don't reach. And maybe Isaiah Wilson is the rare reach. And, you know, every year, especially in the, in the bottom half of the first round, there's going to be a handful of surprise selections. Um, Cause every draft board, it's very fluid. The kind of the variance between the 20th, 25th best prospect and the 50th best prospect. Yep. You yeah, that, that makes sense. Top 20 or so usually are going to carry first round grades. And after that, it's going to be, you know, some will carry second round grades and you're really just splitting hairs and trying to gamble on upside and prioritize certain positions and stuff like that. And it seems like once you get outside of maybe the top 10 or so, that's when you start to have pretty clearly defined flaws. You know, there's there's a yeah. reason why these guys aren't drafted. If, I mean, going back to Visca, who's our example in so many of these scenarios, um, you know, obviously his is the injury concerns, and and that that flaw is big enough to push him probably back to the second round. Um, for guys like Becton and Isaiah Wilson, it's that size. Um, is there anything that you can kind of read into? you know, how GMs are thinking and maybe how they're thinking differently because this, this pre-draft process is so different. When you hear that a guy like Isaiah Wilson is seen as a first-round prospect, will probably go in the first round. And does that make you think that guys are, or GMs would be more willing to take risks or they're interested in size in these positions? They think they can develop it? Like, are there deeper takeaways that we can have here? It kind of feels like business as usual, the NFL doing its thing, you know, gambling on high upside guys, getting enamored with size, prioritizing those top positions, especially in a pass heavy league, you're really going to prioritize quarterbacks, tackles and wide receivers on offense and edge rushers and cornerbacks on defense and linebackers that can cover and what have you and interior pass rushers who can get after the pass. It's all about value on third down. And a guy like him who has traits to be developed into a, you know, high-end pass protector who already has some value as a run blocker in power-heavy schemes, Mm -hmm. you know, there's – it's just kind of the perfect storm to have him rise up. We have data from him on the combine, which was good enough. And so there's less – he's a gamble – but he's also checked off the boxes he needs to check off because there's not injury concerns off field. It seems like he's fairly clean and he was able to test at the combine. So, you know, he's a, he's a comfortable gamble because at least we have all the necessary data. That makes sense. Um, One more question about uh, this little piece of news. How do you think that it affects the Broncos? You know, it's a Broncos podcast. So when you hear this, do you think, well, maybe even if all four tackles are gone, they got to sneak in and grab one at 15, or maybe they can't get one in the third, so they have to get one in the second. There might be that run there. Or maybe to really get one of those 12 that we think has a starter upside by 2021, you might have to move up from 46. Mm. Maybe you need to get in the late 30s. Maybe you need to get, you know, even within the top 35, because if you wait a little too long, you're going to get the one guy remaining who has some question marks. All right. Uh, that's good stuff. Um, keeping on the Daniel Jeremiah theme, he also yeah. released a mock draft this week. And again, Daniel Jeremiah, 
with this news, obviously very plugged into how things are working um, inside front offices around the NFL this time of year. He released his mock draft at NFL.com on Wednesday, uh, the day after he put this news out there, actually did not mock Isaiah Wilson in the first round, oh, which correct. is interesting right after he breaks yeah. that little piece of news. Um, but uh, we're going to fly through here real quick and just talk about the Broncos pick um, because it's an, it's an interesting one, I think. Uh, so first, Bengals take Joe Burrow. Second, the Redskins take Chase Young. Third, the Lions take Jeff Okuda. Four, the, the Giants take Tristan Wirfs. Five, the Dolphins take Justin Herbert. Six, the Chargers take Tua. Seven, the Panthers take Derek Brown. Eight, the Cardinals take Jedrick Wills. Jaguars at nine take Bakai Becton. Ten, the Browns take Isaiah Simmons, so a bit of a slip there. Eleven, wow. the Jets take CeeDee Lamb. Twelve, Jerry Judy goes to the Raiders. Thirteen, San Francisco takes Henry Ruggs. 14, mm. Andrew Thomas uh, goes to the Buccaneers. So this is actually kind of how we've had a lot of our mocks go. Right. It's kind of the same guys off the board. Um, this is what we have been calling the worst case scenario. <laughs> uh, really is. With this the boards. Three quarterbacks gone. Yeah. With the boards sitting how it is. Um, do you like Daniel Jeremiah's pick, which is the Broncos taking Javon Kinlaw, the defensive tackle from South Carolina at number 15? Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, it'll be interesting how him and Draymond and Casey can all fit on the field at the same time, but having a nice heavy rotation is far from a bad thing. I think him and Draymond could work well off each other. Uh, that's the nice thing about um, Kinlaw is he brings some pretty pretty unique length for interior defensive linemen. You know, only guys like DeForest Buckner mm -hmm. are kind of long like he is and play on the interior, not outside at the end. So that makes him, you know, really efficient against the run as well, uh, really stout against the run. And if you can get just get him to play the way he did in his best games at South Carolina against the best competition he faced, mm -hmm. he could be a beast and be a steal at 15. There's yep. going to be some injury questions, and you got to get him to play consistently at that level. Because if you look at his production, it's not that impressive. Yeah, yeah, I think that'll make sense. Again, he's kind of just one of those freak athletes with freak size um, that kind of like well, we're, we're seeing the tackles that those traits are being valued. Um, right. I, I really like players in his mold, the very explosive, very long. You know, I think like almost Calais Campbell, but obviously, I mean, Kinlaw plays yep. – more Pretty inside but mm -hmm. but just when you have guys with those long arms filling up those holes if they're strong enough that can just take away a running game um, you you think of what chris this pass jones. rush is yeah chris jones you think of what this pass rush could be immediately with bradley chubb who put up 12 sacks as a rookie von miller who's von miller Jarrell casey it's what, seven straight years with at least five sacks, five and a half sacks, something like that. Mm -hmm. Throw Javon Kinlaw in there. Shelby Harris had five sacks. Draymond Jones yeah. is improving. All of a sudden, you're looking at this and saying, this pass rush, do you think that that group could rival the Super Bowl pass rush? Uh, with given a little time, you know, once Chubb's healthy, like by midseason, and uh, Draymond's, Draymond's really reaching his full potential, mm -hmm. and Kinlaw, Law's comfortable and Casey's got the scheme down and Chubb's back to his old self and 
yeah, that could definitely rival that group. And, you know, it's interesting. Last week we talked about the secondary. This week we'll talk about the front seven. And it's really kind of a philosophy of would you rather chase a great offense like the Chiefs or would you rather be the one who's chasing them uh, yeah. with, a great, with a great pass rush? And there's no wrong answer. Um, but, you know, this does seem conventional wisdom would suggest that chasing them and being the aggressor is going to be a more proactive way of, uh, of limiting that, that offense. Yep. And, and you think back to what Nick Bosa did for the 49ers defense immediately. And all of a sudden, all those guys who, you know, Eric Armstead, Solomon Thomas, uh, DeForest Buckner, uh, they, they had a bunch of good football players, but then as soon as you fill that group out, every one of them is getting a, or one-on-one every play. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. except for I guess like one of them or they're keeping extra blockers in but then you can rush more um, that just means that you're going to be consistently winning one of those one-on-ones right. Right. play after play after play um, so th- I think there's some very obvious appeal initially but you also have to be thinking is this kind of the, the responsible pick long term do you think that spending a first round pick on a defensive tackle when you already have the guys you have um, would set the Broncos up for success over the course of his rookie contract? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think you can make a case for that. Obviously, it's not the top priority, but with the board falling this way, if you can't trade down, I mean, you could do a lot worse than Kinlaw. That's for sure, who was a dominant force at the Senior Bowl when, uh, you know, Elway and crew were there as well. So, yeah, it'd be interesting, but then you got to take care of business. You know, you, you, you stayed but at 15, you didn't trade up. So now we got to gotta take advantage of those four day two picks and really load up on wide receivers, tackles, et cetera. Yep. And then kind of looking ahead, you know, Jarrell Casey, um, I, I think that he still has right. plenty left in his tank. But at the same time, you know, he was drafted in 2011. So he's been around for quite a while. Or, yeah. Uh, you have Shelby Harris, who's on his one-year deal. So he's going to be 29 this season, 30 next season. Maybe right. they bring him back, likely don't. Uh, Draymond Jones, uh, do, you, do you think that Draymond Jones and uh, Javon Kinlaw could kind of be that next wave of interior pass rush and be successful after these two? Absolutely. And I love that they're kind of a modern duo uh, who – really their best skills, their best appeal is their upside as pass rushers and their tools getting after the quarterback, which from the interior in the, in the modern NFL, that's what you want, especially if you're trying to stop the Chiefs year in, year out, who are pass-heavy team. All right. Uh, I think that that's all good stuff. Um, you know what? One more question. Knowing what we know now, knowing that maybe – there, there could be some receivers available in those 20s. Like that's where you like to find a guy like Justin Jefferson or Denzel Mims or, uh-huh. you know, maybe a Visca or Rager you want to get late in the first. Right, right. You also now know that there are going to be quite a few tackles going in the first round. So maybe in that late first, early second is where you're trying to get a tackle too. If, if you go defensive line here, you have pick 46 and you don't pick again until 77. Yeah. You kind of talked about this earlier, but would you rather go after Javon Kinlaw here or trade back into the mid-20s, see if you can pick up another second-round pick 
um, and maybe even package that second round pick with the third round pick you already have and get back and yeah. get 46, 47, and 25, something like that. That's the strategy I really like um, as being able to add, you know, move down at another second rounder. Because on top of the report that Jeremiah has about Isaiah Wilson, then in this mock, you get right around, you know, he has A.J. Terrell going to the Raiders at 19, Jalen Johnson going at 22. So there's the cornerback market drying up a little bit Yep. because you've already had Henderson and Okuda go. The linebackers are both gone by pick 25. So all the top interior guys with first-round grades gone. A.J. Epines, another option on the interior D-line, gone at 23. Joshua Jones and Austin Jackson going 26 and 27. So, you know, really, even that tackle class starts to dry up. It, it'd be nice to get in that range and pick another, add a pick later. You can still address all your needs, but then you can still guarantee yourself one of these, you know, first round level players late in round one who are going to drop, whether it's at wide receiver, corner, D line, linebacker, what have you. And I think that's what's so appealing to me about these trade down scenarios is that when you're trying to trade down, you're trying to or any pick you take, you're trying to get into a spot where there's value, where there's, you know, at 15, the reason we were so excited about this 15th pick is that it seemed like a top 10 talent was going to be there. You know, it seemed like a Jerry Duty was probably going to be there or or one of these tackles um, that we really like is going to be there. But now that it's kind of looking like there may not be a great value, like Javon Kinlaw at 15, sure, that's about what he's worth, I'd say. Right, right. If, if you were able to trade down to 25 and then maybe Javon Kinlaw slips to there, then all of a sudden that's a great value. Maybe, you know, CJ Henderson, not a guy we love for the fit, but if, if he were to fall down to 25, then you could say, okay, this is where we're willing to take a risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think that just waiting for the talent to kind of back up a little bit again um, yep. might be a better place to be. Because um, you think about it, I mean, if, if you're able to f- trade back, say you're able to snag AJ Epinesa, Jalen Rager, and uh, I don't Epinesa, even know. Rager, say a tackle. Say yeah, Ezra Cleveland. Ezra Cleveland, yep. Let's say those are the three guys that you get by trading down. Maybe you ditch one of your third-round picks. You ditch 15, wind up with two late firsts in that 46. Yeah. You feel pretty good about that haul, right? Totally, man. Totally. Yeah. I mean, you got to like what you came away with was those three guys who, and you could mix it up to where you have really three guys who are basically first round grades for me, you know, mm-hmm. Epinesa, Justin Jefferson, if you move back into round one or yep. you know, Mims. Um, and then, yeah, you add one of those second tier tackles like an Austin Jackson. How great would that or as for Cleveland, who's just fine by me, you know. That'd be so exciting. Yeah. Just but as exciting be- to me as taking a Javon Kinlaw at 15. More exciting, honestly. Agreed. Yeah, totally. And it'd be the same strategy implemented a year ago. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, let the board fall to you. If there's good value at 15, take somebody. If not, get out of there and get back up too later on. You have all those third round picks. You don't need too many more. Um, we're going to tell you more about AJ Epinesa and others like him here in a second. But before we do, we're going to tell you about our friends at Breckenridge Brewery. Um, if you guys need somewhere to eat and you want to treat yourself over the weekend, 
the farmhouse at Breckenridge Brewery yes. is probably the best option that I can think of. Um, use the code DNVR and you can save $5 off your meal. Uh, it can be curbside pickup. It can be delivery. They have daily specials, so definitely check those out. Um, they'll deliver beer as well. Um, the 15 can sampler is always my go-to just because I like the variety. Um, yep. Can't go wrong with the strawberry sky, vanilla Porter jr. Um, Colorado core. Oh, did you? Oh, I, I need one. I just ran out. Oh. I'm on my last coffee too. So I'm gonna have to oh, man. put both those together. It just um, got real. I, I know it's, it's actually scary for me. Cause, cause like I finished, so I, I just buy these massive jugs. I finished, uh-huh. uh, my second, I bought three last time this morning. And so right before we did this, I went to the fridge to go grab the third because, you know, I bought three of them and yeah. I couldn't find it. And I was like, wait, did I t- oh, drink one and forget? And I was panicked. I was like, how am I going to get through all this? So yeah, it's, it's actually kind of scary being low. Um, but yeah, yeah so I'll go get that. more coffee. I'll go get uh, some uh, Breck brews and hopefully you guys do too. And if you aren't interested in food and you just want the beer, use the beer locator on the Breckenridge Brewery website. It'll tell you exactly where to go for whatever beer it is that you want to try. Um, also would like to tell you about MSU Denver online. This is an incredible way for you guys to change career fields or advance in on your current career path or just kill some time doing things, studying things that you're interested in. Um, So it's a Metropolitan State University of Denver. It's located just across the street from the Pepsi Center, actually in a really cool place. They have a bunch of cool stuff going on there. Oh, yeah. That campus is awesome. It is. I went to uh, Burgers and Brews, I think is what it was called. Just a food festival. like On the, like, quad, like, Tivoli something. Just go try a bunch of burgers, drink a bunch of beers. It was as great as it sounds. So that's my one experience with their school, and I am a fan. Um, there you go. If you aren't in Denver, though, again, they have an incredible online program. They're 40, they're actually over 40 online and hybrid programs that will give you degrees. Um, they have 750 different online courses. Again, if, if you want to change fields, if you're trying to get a master, something like that, check out MSU Denver online. Or also, if you're like me and you think that that 100,000 years of war class sounds really interesting. You're intrigued. I am very intrigued. Because um, yeah. I, took, I took like a U.S. history class in high school that got me credits for college. And so I didn't take like any history classes in college. Uh. Which well, and I like history. Like I don't necessarily like writing great. papers and stuff, but well, um, like I wish I knew that stuff. Like I think I watch National Treasure to fill that hole. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think yeah, so. maybe maybe a course. So and all we ask is that you go and browse and do just like Hank and I and uh, see what's out there, and we promise you won't regret. You know what class I would love to take? It probably doesn't exist. It's uh, it would be a class based only on. National National Treasure, the movie, like it, like like it would be like the Declaration of Independence, very important in that movie. We'd go through the whole history of that document, like all the little side references, all the different things that they like bring up. It's like, oh, it's just like in 1842 that's the reference. So like they have like the two desks that are made out of the same wood. Like tell me the history of those desks, you know? Let me really enjoy this movie that I just keep watching wow. over and over again. Basically, like this podcast. And yeah. only with a history buff instead of a draft expert. Exactly. 
you I'm gonna have to. Like, hey, <laughs> maybe what's that's this? maybe that's my responsibility. Maybe I need to hit Brandon up and say, "Hey, I have this great idea. I'm gonna do a there podcast just on all the different things that happen in National Treasure, but like the history history of them all." Well, there you go. And uh, if you explore MSU Denver's website, you uh, can have great ideas like Hank just did. Maybe I should hit up MSU Denver and see if they'll let me be the professor of that class. I've seen the movie enough. I think better than Brandon. You should reach out to them directly. I think it's a lot better than Brandon. Uh, Yes. Oh, want to talk about football again? Why not? Let's do it. Um, so yeah, the plan today is to talk through all the back seven guys, your nose tackles, your defensive tackles, your defensive ends, your three, four outside linebackers and inside mm-hmm. linebackers and four, three linebackers, everybody who doesn't play cornerback or safety, but tackles. Yes. Yep. that's, that's what we're covering here. Um, let's just start at the top. You know, we talked through Javon Kinlaw, um, yeah. but we didn't talk through Derek Brown, who probably isn't an option for the Broncos, but he is the best defensive tackle prospect in this draft. And who knows? Maybe he slips. Um, What's the difference between Derek Brown and Javon Kinlaw? Well, that's a great question. That's a question that NFL front offices are asking themselves right now, because there is a world where Kinlaw does go before Derek Brown, because he has a much more obvious fit and utility on third down against the pass as an interior pass rusher. Brown's utility, there's still plenty, especially for a team like the Broncos, right? Maybe for a team like the Lions, who are like, we need that dude who gets after the quarterback and everyone works off of him. The Broncos already have Von Miller. They already have Bradley Chubb and Jarrell Casey. So they don't need that guy who kind of, sets the table and starts everything, they could very easily use a guy like Brown, who's so physical, big, powerful, or just like a wide human being. He's He literally commands a double team. So if you're doubling Brown, because there aren't enough humans on this earth who can block him one-on-one, then you're left, it's simple math. You have five offensive linemen, four rushers. Well, now Brown just took two off. So good luck (laughs) blocking Chubb, Vaughn, and Casey one-on-one. That's the intriguing equation. And I was talking to Arcane Private about this. A team that just bid over $10 million per year for DJ Reader would definitely be intrigued in what Derek Brown brings to the table. Yes. Those are some good points. And you know, it's interesting looking at these guys because, you know, Javon Kinlaw, 6'5", 315. Derek Brown, 6'5", 318. Like very similar physical profiles when you look at the height and weight. On paper. And yet you look at them on the field, they couldn't be more different. Exactly. Because Javon Kinlaw, you know, you're talking about the way Derek Brown just commands a double team. Like he is so big. He's so strong. You can't block him. He will push you backwards. Javon Kinlaw has a little bit more finesse to the game and again big physical freak but with those long arms he's he's trying to rip past and you don't necessarily need to dedicate two guys to him because you know he he might he may definitely like he could beat you he could lose to you Derek Brown could beat you or lose to you but if it's one guy he's pushing you back two steps no matter what Mm -hmm. that's right that's right he's kind of the immovable object and the thing about Brown studying him up because I wrote um, his report on our draft guide, check out the top 11, top 32 coming out on Monday with a bunch of additional content. I'm excited. That, um, you know, it, it, he, he's still raw. 
Brown is. For a guy that was as dominant as he was the past two seasons and such a force team captain, by the way, um, he has a lot of areas he can improve. He's just so used to winning off his power, off that mm-hmm. initial move, that he's kind of raw as fine. You know, once he's got you two step back, if you've got the balance to withstand that blow and still hold your ground and not be blown into the quarterback, he needs to work on those counters. He needs to work on his hands and be more consistent in winning that battle in leverage. And he's, you know, he's got some mobility that's underrated, as we've seen on some broken plays by Brown, some real highlights. Yep. Um, and, you know, I started the week kind of convincing myself, and this happens every draft. There's a legit top 10 guy who – at this point in the draft, I start to dream about being able to drop to Denver. Um, but then the more I think about it, there's a ton of spots where I feel like he could be the surprise pick. I could see him be a surprise pick at Detroit. At yeah. three. I could yeah. see him be a surprise pick for the Giants, despite them franchise tagging Leonard Williams and drafting Dexter Lawrence in the first round last year. But they can't help themselves, right? They, they're just obsessed with the linemen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, the, the Cardinals are – I think they're hot and heavy after him, as we talked in a couple pods ago. So, um, Brown's a legit talent, man. He he just didn't test all that well at the Combine, and there will be teams who are like, does he present enough pass rush ability for, for us to justify taking him this high? Yeah, and, and, you know, both these guys, they come with some additional value for Denver because Denver has so many pieces in place, but still yes. also has room in the rotation. It's a weird place that the Broncos are in where yeah. if they, if they bring what they have as pass rushers um, into the start of the season, I'm saying, yeah, this is, this may be the best pass rush in the NFL. It's top five. Yep. But still you would consider boosting it with a top 15 pick. Right. Right. Because because you in the same in the, you're also investing in Bradley Chubb. You're also investing in all these guys. It's the same thing as Cortland Sutton getting him help at receiver. Exactly. You know, there's there's the obvious on field stuff, but I mean, could you imagine? And this is totally off topic, but I would just love. I would spend a third round pick just to get Jerry Judy as a practice only player, just so that he is in practice running routes and Cortland Sutton is watching his feet, just to like see what that looks like. Just to like be around that. What it could do to your corners too would be. Oh, and what would it do to your corners? Of course, yeah. I don't know. And, and those, those ways that you can just invest in the players you already have on your roster: Javon yeah. Kinlaw, Derek Brown, maybe even more, probably even more. I don't know. I think they're strength definitely in a strength. Yep. Uh, yeah, I think that they're definitely options. Um, let's keep talking about more of these guys. Um, how about Neville Gallimore? Yeah. Yeah, intriguing one um, because he's, you know, he was, he was rumored to run like a 4-5 coming into mm-hmm. the combine. Still ran really well. Like for a, a guy who's legit nose tackle size, he's in the 320s, 330s. He moves freakishly well, and you see it on tape. There are flashes of brilliance from a man his size. You know, rare interior clogger who has legit penetration skills and pass rushing skills from the interior question is he's a bit soft when it comes to being a run defender he's inconsistent he's raw um and you know outside of those flashes he can leave you wanting for more um often so he's a project uh at 46 you might consider him but but he's a project 
And um, I'm not as sold as I would be on guys like AJ Epinesa, who has more of a clear-cut role for the Broncos. I think he could be very Derek Wolf-esque or what they thought Gotsis could be, kind of a, a longer five technique with some pass rush ability. Epinesa's production is off the charts, too. I mean, mm-hmm. he feels like a guy the Broncos would like. Uh, Marlon Davidson is a, a hybrid guy. We've seen them target guys like that, just like Wolf and Gotsis were kind of hybrids, like in a 4-3, not a clear-cut role. Exactly. Demarcus well, and then Walker, you, th- exactly. you, know? you throw Demarcus Walker in there, and then you remember that this second round is where they've typically drafted mm-hmm. so many defensive linemen, and especially, right. like you were saying, those guys who can play a couple different positions. Yep. But at the same time, you know, Derek Wolf, that panned out. I think I think that you got about what you expect with a second rounder. You know, that's, that's what you're right. looking for is exactly Derek Wolf. That's uh, right. If you get less, you're a little disappointed. If you get more, <laughs> yeah. then that was a great pick. Right. Um, I think that when you look at Demarcus Walker, though, he's been disappointing. Gotsis, disappointing. Terrible. Terrible. Yeah. yeah but yeah. then you look at like Draymond Jones, who was a third rounder, uh-huh. an immediate production. And, yeah. and, and so do you think that maybe they might be scared off from taking defensive linemen here? Do you think that they're kind of just in the cycle so they have to keep taking them here until they get another one who kind of a year from now is the next Draymond Jones? I mean, they look like they're potentially 2 for 2 and L.A. has drafted Malik Jackson as well. I think he That's was true. like a fifth rounder. I think he was fifth, yeah. So, you know, there, there, there are hits and there are misses. Mm-hmm. I, I think you just got to go back to the well and – you know, especially those big boys, they're hard to find and you just got to keep, keep loading up and throwing, throwing chips at them and seeing if you can land, land a good one because that can really hit. But Davidson and Epinesa are really intriguing for kind of those, those hybrid uh, profiles they have. But, you know, uh, Davidson came in at almost 300 pounds at the Senior Bowl and I think could easily play at that the the end spot and i think would complement draymond pretty nicely uses that length well epinesa more in the 270 275 range needs to beef up to fit with the broncos but i think that's the perfect spot for him um, but you know you're gambling on both there's a bit of a gamble gambling on their tools fitting what we're trying to do because both of them you know you, you you watch the tape and sometimes it's like oh yeah i'm buying what they're selling other times it's like Ugh, man Okay. You know, I actually want to spend just a little bit more time on AJ Epinesa because he's been one of the more intriguing yeah. prospects throughout mm-hmm. this whole course of draft. You know, he, yeah. he was a guy who I think could have moved himself up into the top five picks with, yes. a, with a good season. Instead, yes. he falls down. Um, and so he, he left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. Um, again, use Visca as an example a lot, but I think that there's, there's a lot of AJ Epinesa hate almost just because he's been around so long. Like he isn't this flashy Mackay Becton. Look at what yes. he's doing. Look at him rise. Yes. Look at how Austin Jackson is taking off. So many of these types of guys. Meanwhile, AJ Epinesa is one of the guys that they've kind of replaced in that first round. Um, there's been a lot of talk about his fit in Denver because mm-hmm. he was playing more of the three. Or, I mean, he, he's a four, three defender. Like he fits as a four, three yeah. defensive end. So that's does what he, he played play, in college, right? Yeah. Yep. Does he play outside linebacker? Can he play either that or defensive end in the Broncos scheme? Like, right. like does he fit at all? But you said you think this is almost a perfect fit for Epinesa. Right. Just because he's just like Wolf and Gotsis. I think that's the profile. You know, he's going to be a guy who's going to be more suited the closer you move him to center. So instead of having that wide nine stance, 
mm-hmm. or, you know, being, being outside of the offensive tackle. That's where we're coming from. Von and Miller. You're, you're just, exactly. You're just increasing the distance of Epinesa from the quarterback. So you're really doing him a disservice because mm-hmm. he's not a quick twitch, bendy, can outrun an offensive tackle outside like a Vaughn. No, he needs to get inside, get in him, use that length, use that power, shed him and get on the quarterback and impact the quarterback again with that length and power. You know, we Um, talked a lot about Javon Kinlaw and his length and and the mm -hmm. problems that causes. AJ Epinesa, also six foot six. Yeah, and I think 30 over 34 inch arms. You know, what's interesting is writing his report because I'm writing his report on the next batch. so I've watched a lot of film of him this week. I, because you compared him to Visca, rightfully so, because he has been mm-hmm. one of the big fallers coming into the season. Yep. Um, he had top five hype. He's not in the top five range. Jeremiah had him 23rd on his mock. Some mocks, mm-hmm. like mine in some versions, haven't even had him in round one. Yep. And yet he's still at double-digit sacks for a ranked team in the Big Ten. And, <laughs> and <laughs> out of <laughs> position, likely, too. Right, right. And he gave lines with a lot of NFL talent like Wisconsin or Austin Jackson in the bowl game a lot of trouble. And this is after coming off another double-digit sack season. He he has 36 – he's just a junior, but he has 36 career tackles for a loss in three seasons and over 26 sacks. So that's Mm -hmm. elite production. Uh, He didn't test well at the combine. But, you know, I wonder if – if the media are sleeping on him and the NFL will value him higher um, than we are. And maybe he's a sleeper pick that we're not considering at 15. I think so. I mean, in 2020, early 2020, we were still saying, you know, if AJ Epinesa is there at 15, I think that he like, that's just a great talent to have. Right. And it's just been in this whole between the season and the draft time that he has slipped so far. Um, Good. I'm, I'm glad we had this conversation. I'm glad we had a chance to have the uh, Derek Brown, Javon Kinlaw conversation. Yes. Um, you know what? Let's, let's talk through just a couple more guys who could be first-round targets. Probably not. Um, you know, you should say something about Chase Young, obviously not coming to Broncos, but just sure. what, what is the overall scouting report on Chase Young? Yeah, he's the one elite grade um, for me. Um, that's, um, you know, I, 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 there are many years where I don't give out an elite grade. He's the only one that fits that bill this year. Um, and he grades out higher than Nick Bosa did last year. That's right. According that's to right. Yep. Bosa had the injury concerns coming in, um, as well that, that, that hurt him to some extent. Mm-hmm. It was enough of a question mark to not stamp an elite grade, um, for me. And I think the upside is greater than at least Nick, I thought Joey's upside was pretty elite. Joey definitely did get an elite grade um, for me. Uh, so, you know, he's, he's in rarefied air with special upside and talent. And I think that, you know, he'll, be dra- he'll almost certainly be drafted second overall. And I think just like other great defensive ends in my lifetime that have been drafted at that spot, I think of Julius Peppers and Vaughn. Um, he'll be a tone setter for 10 years and kind of be the face of the franchise he lands in um, and just be a, a special player for, for many, many years. Maybe won't have the rookie impact we saw from Nick, who obviously kind mm-hmm. of in a unique circumstance yep. being picked second overall and going to a Super Bowl team. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I think his future outlook is as high as just about it. All right. Um, here's another interesting guy who's an edge rusher, but might fit with the Broncos even as a high pick, and that's Zach Bond from Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you could make the case that basically that next tier of edge rushers after Young, all of them have some intriguing versatility to fit both as Denver's third edge. And this is something I highlighted when Fangio was first hired in one of, our, one of my film rooms was how they would use Khalil Mack, Leonard Floyd, and then mm-hmm. a third edge um, to kind of attack you know, sometimes it would be a NASCAR type front. Mm-hmm. Sometimes one of those edge rushers became a de facto inside linebacker. Sometimes that edge rusher became kind of that uh, Will Parks nickelback. Mm-hmm. And they had Leonard Floyd to do this. A former top 10 pick never reached his ceiling as a pass rusher, but his versatility and size were very intriguing. And when Justin Hollins was drafted, this was what I was kind of saying I thought the Hollins mold would be. But Zach Bond, yes, he's a nice outside pass rusher, but he does so much more. He can play inside linebacker. He's got good sideline to sideline um, you know, ability and some decent enough range if dropped in coverage, which makes him intriguing. Josh Uche of Michigan fits that bill as well. They drop him at safety sometimes in Michigan. Um, and he dominated the senior bowl. Uche, I'm very high on. And Chasen, Chasen? Chasen. Uh, Chasen. I, I think Kayla Vaughn is the important part. Chasen, Chasen, you can kind of say okay. halfway between. Nobody will call you out. Kayla Vaughn <laughs> yeah. kind of brings some of those same skills as well. He's very Leonard Floyd-y. Um, mm. So, obviously, feels like a luxury pick at 15. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't advise, you know, for my board, none of them present proper value. and carry a first round grade to warrant a pick at 15 but if you were to trade down and then trade back up maybe one of them makes enough of a fit and could be your future inside linebacker especially Uche or Bond to kind of take over for Todd Davis down the line yeah it'd be intriguing It'd be really intriguing. And you, and you saw, you, you know, the Broncos back in the Super Bowl season, it was a very different defense, but they were consistently rushing six players, five, six players. And uh, if you were to do that, you, you would obviously like for those to be the best rushes you can get. A guy like Zach Bond, like you said, he can rush the middle, but he can also rush the inside. I, I love him as a blitzer. Um, same thing with uh, those other guys that you've been mentioning, Uche uh, being the – biggest one but but I do like that versatility I think my biggest question is you know with Justin Hollins doing what um, we're kind of explaining here where he is that third rusher he'll sub in outside but that isn't enough snaps to warrant a player that's good enough to fill that role you know that's kind of the catch-22 there you know he also has the versatility to maybe be your inside linebacker He, he has the length to kind of help him out in coverage um, he's a, another very good blitzer on the inside. Does having Justin Hollins kind of keep you away from one of these guys? Well, uh, we, we're going to find out a lot about how they feel about Justin Hollins in this draft. I mean, you know, that's the thing about these drafts. They're going to be pretty telling with how they feel about some young players like Juwan Winfrey and uh, mm-hmm. Justin Hollins who aren't necessarily on the bubble, but they're 
not guarantees for the 55 now. Um, so yeah, yeah, we're gonna find out a lot about how they feel about Justin Holmes because in 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 small stretches we did see we did see what he could bring to the table. But you yeah, know, I would argue that Uche and Bond would be an upgrade. And if you use them like this, maybe they're immediate replacements a year from now for Todd Davis, and maybe two, three years from now, they're, they're a replacement for Von Miller, which is something we're talking about off-air, too. And do you think there's room for two of this type of player? You know, and I think that this is a really interesting discussion because you know we hear a lot about defensive versatility and flexibility but it's often with the derwin james types you know the safety who can play linebacker um, the safety who can play slot cornerback uh, you know and Uh how those those back seven guys can move around but there is kind of a need for that front seven versatility too Justin oh, Hollins sure. is one of those guys who can play so many different roles. Um, mm-hmm. Isaiah Simmons can play front seven or back seven. Um, right. but, yeah. but do you think you could have two of those chess pieces and fit both of them in? Say Justin Hollins does pan out and he is good enough to put on the field and they draft a Zach Bond. Could they make that work with the current roster? No, I don't think so. I think you could make two of those guys work, but it would be in lieu of – two more pure pass rushers like Chubb and Vaughn. Okay. You get what I mean? Like there just aren't enough spots on the field. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's enough space for one, but not two on top of having Vaughn and Chubb on the field as well. All right. Um, And here's a question I probably should have asked at the beginning, but which positions in this front seven are you most interested in upgrading? Yeah, totally. Um, the interior defensive line, even with the additions of Ch- uh, Casey. And, and what Shelby are you looking Harris. there? Are, are you looking for a nose tackle? Are you looking for a run stuffer who can fit in? Are you looking for more pass rush? I'm looking for more pass rush, but in the body of someone who uh, down the line could complement Draymond Jones, especially in four-man fronts. Um, nickel formations you can play nickel defense in a four-man front with Jones as one of your defensive tackles because you trust this guy this second guy enough to be stout enough against the run but still present some pass rush value okay and and so just for any of the listeners that that four-man front in the nickel that's where you have Von Miller and Bradley Chubb lining up essentially as your defensive ends with right. Draymond Jones, and so that leaves you a little bit light, and so you want somebody heavier, a Derek Brown, obviously, who can just clog right. up a couple of gaps by being so big. Um, let's jump into more of these players. Um, we've kind of covered all the first-round guys, um, at least on the defensive line. We'll come back and talk linebackers, like inside linebackers later on. Um, but, but when you look through this board of edge rushers, um, guys who could kind of fit into that hybrid spot for the Broncos, you know, maybe edge guys who could move inside to the three, four front. Um, who do who do, who else do you like? Man, it's tough because the, the edge rushers I see, you know, Terrell Lewis is another guy who would fit kind of the mold of those versatiles, Zach Bond, Uche, Chase on Jabari Zuniga is the one edge. And we've talked about this before mm-hmm. who intrigues me with his ability to play some snaps inside where really I think he was at his best mm-hmm. um, in college. And then I guess Curtis Weaver of Boise State. Boxy frame reminds me way, way, way too much of Demarcus Walker. 
I'm going to put that out there right now. But if we're looking at guys who have enough hybrid ability to be switched from being a true D end to more of a three, four D end, I could see that in Curtis Weaver if developed through time. And this is a very productive defensive end for the Broncos. Um, and he power is how he wins. So that would allow him to kind of exploit his talents more. I would love to say Bradley and I fits that mold because I really think and I is such a technician with his hands plays. So such, you know, so efficient with his leverage um, and athletically, I think that a move inside would suit him more. He, he just doesn't have the frame to, to fill out and, and do that. It's unrealistic to put that on him. I asked him about this at the senior bowl. Had anyone asked him if he would do the switch? He said no, and his arms are way short. Um, so that's just going to that, that's gonna take away from his ability. I guess Yutor Gross Matos of Penn State. Mm-hmm. Um, an edge rusher who I'm not very high on because he's lacking kind of that quick twitchness, but mm-hmm. he's long. He is. And I guess if he put 15, 20 pounds on, he's another guy who can make the switch. But you, I mean, does he want to do that? It, you know, would you, it, he's probably going in the top 50. So would mm-hmm. you draft someone in the top 50 because he's just this raw ball of clay and you want to develop him? Um, and I guess in that same sense, Anthony Jennings of Alabama, long, yeah. long, 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 um, would have some room to fill out. But again, is it worth it? And Bama has another edge rusher, Terrell Lewis, um, mm-hmm. who's another one who's pretty light. But do you think he could be a candidate to put on some weight and go to Denver? I think he would go the opposite way, the okay. chase on um, Uche Bond route. Okay. Um, all right. That's some good stuff. Um, let's talk about one more and that's Kenny Willickis, the edge rusher from Michigan state. Um, yeah. he's another one who's really slipped. He was a first round potentially guy and he yeah. could, he, he probably will slip to day three. Um, yeah. do you think that he could be of use for the Broncos? I think he could be a really nice value if you get him on day three. I'm not going to say he's um, he's going to be the next Shaq Barrett, but he kind of fits that kind of profile of a guy where, you know, we we, we start to nick, nitpick and all that. And, um, yeah, maybe he's not an elite athlete, doesn't have a great frame. At the end of the day, the guy gets after the, the quarterback and plays with a great motor. Mm-hmm. And if he's developed even more in the NFL, uh, could really be a solid starter for you. So, yeah, I definitely think he could present some nice value on day three. It'll be interesting to see if they do something like that. What's it say about how they feel about Malik Reed and Hollins mm-hmm. and Jeremiah Tachu? And that's where I wanted to go because he's one of those guys who's kind of in that range, that day three range where you're drafting somebody who, you know, they, they could play, they could rotate in late in the year. But, I mean, likely you're looking at your 2021 backup edge rusher if everything goes right. Like, right. knock on wood, if something were to happen to Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, or just rotate in because they can't play every snap. Um, but maybe they aren't guys who you, you're – who are good enough to force you to put them on the field as a linebacker in other situations. Um, and I think that that is what would be most interesting is if they do take one of that type um, five, six, seven, what does that say about Malik Reed? 
Um, yeah. It's definitely not good for Malik Reed. It's definitely not good for Jeremiah Attachew. Um, the interesting one is Justin Hollins. You know, it could be a sign that they like Justin Hollins better at inside linebacker. Right. Um, right. Or it could be that he doesn't play, you know. If they take an yeah, inside totally. linebacker and they take an edge, then maybe they're saying, ah, eh, we might be out on him. Okay. Um, yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about some of the more traditional defensive linemen. Um, you know, Russ uh, Blacklock is the one guy we haven't mentioned who is going to be in that first round range for me. Okay. And um, you put on his tape, he's he, he's more of a natural fit than a lot of the dudes we've talked about. And he's mm. got great power, and he's got some really intriguing wiggle and get-off for a big guy who's a run-stuffer and is going to be able to take on double teams. Um, and, in fact, he's at the end of the first round in a lot of these mocks, the big defensive tackle mm-hmm. from TCU, even Jeremiah's. The question with him is he was injured most of 2018, uh, production isn't always great. So he's got some of those types of questions, um, which could push him down. But yeah, man. I, I, and he was versatile. He played all over, which you love if you're the Broncos. Because again, versatility, really key uh, to making a 55-man roster now. But, okay. you know, okay. at the same time, that's part of why he wasn't producing. And he wasn't great when lined up out wide and stuff like that, which is like, yeah, yeah, no duh. I, that's what I expect. Okay, so we've, we've, we've talked about a lot of these kind of elite guys. Maybe not elite, but the, the, the round one potential guys. Uh, Derek Brown, Javon Kinlaw, Bryce. Neville Gallimore, Ross Blacklock, uh, Marlon Davidson is another one we've talked about. What about guys like Raekwon Davis or uh, Justin Matabuki? Yeah, yeah, uh, Matabuki, nice because uh, he shows some real – Uh, pass rush ability as an interior guy so i'd really be intrigued by him um he feels like he'd be in some sense doubling up on what you've got with draymond jones which again on third third and nine when everyone in the building knows you gotta pass the ball i like having two guys like that Mm -hmm. when we're when though you that four-man front becomes your default base i wonder if there's enough run stop potential between the two of them on the interior while while davis length for days he's yeah. gonna have the run six stop foot seven dude he's a basketball player he is a basketball player but also 315 pounds mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i mean had maybe not first round buzz coming into the season but definitely a name that was in that top 50 mix i would be surprised if he goes before uh round three now um, because he's more just a two-gap run defender that's not giving me a lot as a pass rusher. And sometimes, though, those guys with length who don't produce in college, they become Carlos Dunlop or Khalil Campbell. Like yep. something clicks in the NFL. So, I mean, there might be more upside that meets the eye. And again, you look at him and see all the tools, and they flash back his sophomore year, eight and a half uh-huh. sacks. 2017, yeah, exactly. starting right. on Alabama's defense. And now, now after his senior year, like you said, production not there. But again, mm-hmm. was that? I think I'm pretty sure he's a three, four, year, three year starter at Alabama. Yep. And he's six foot seven, three hundred and fifteen pounds. Like this seems like the kind of guy who should be a really good football player that you could get mm-hmm. in maybe the third round, mm-hmm. second, third. Totally. Well, and I mean, 
was he more productive earlier in his career because the guys around him were better? Because you watch Alabama's front last year. It was not the Alabama front of years past. Yeah, put him with there's, Jarrell there's Casey, there's no Bradley linebackers. Right, exactly. Now it's like having Quinn and Williams and all those studs he used to play with, Tim Williams and so on and so forth. That's why he was so productive in 2017. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Um, a, a couple of defensive linemen from Ohio State. Uh, Devon Hamilton, uh, the the nose, and then you have uh, Robert Landers, who you know I'm I'm not sure if you've even watched tape on because he's kind of like a fringe draft pick, but again right. they're coming from one of the great defenses. Mm-hmm. Could they produce for the Broncos? Landers would be an interesting rotation piece, kind of a gamble, you know it. I'd be a bit skeptical because he hasn't seen the field yet, but that's Ohio state. I mean, yep. they are yep. so stacked. This is going to happen. So look with one of those seventh round picks, if you want to take a gamble on landers, sure. I'm for it. Hamilton's more intriguing because he's, he's got to get a bit of wiggle to him, but he's a, he's a big guy. He plays low to the ground. He he's efficient. He's going to be a fringe starter for you. Uh, on that rookie contract at Sam at some point, and that carries some value. That he's going to be a top hundred player for. Okay, um, and and he's another one who would be that nose tackle, Mike Purcell type. Yeah, and then once in a while can play a couple third downs. You know, okay, net, paired next to Casey or Draymond. Okay. Um, you know, it, it almost seems like that should be the route that the Broncos go. When, when you're worried about the run defense, when your defensive line is Bradley Chubb, Vaughn Miller, uh, Draymond Jones, I guess Jarrell Casey out there. But uh, I don't know. Right. We'll, we'll right. see. But, but maybe you do just want more bulk to fill up those running lanes and, and get a yeah. guy who's 330 pounds and you just cannot block. If, if you block him with one blocker, best case scenario, you're two steps into the backfield. Right. And, and, he made, Lake, and he may beat you from there. <laughs> right, totally. And guys like Lakey Fotu fit that bill mm-hmm. uh, from Utah. Rashard Lawrence from LSU. Those guys fit mm-hmm. that bill. Okay. Um, let's talk just a couple more. You know, Jason Strobitbridge is a guy we've talked about a little bit, but he could, yeah. be, a, he's some, he could be day two. He's likely day three, though. Um, yeah. What, what do you think of him? dominated at the senior bowl. I mean, okay. we came in with no expectations. You know, Mace is a North Carolina fan. Um, yep. And it's not like we were talking about Strobridge at all on the drive up to Mobile. Uh, but then you see him, and this guy, the senior bowl was smart to move him inside. And against guards mm. and one-on-one drills, he is just bullying I mean, straight up snatching their lunch money and leaving them, leaving them – just straight down and dusted. Uh, But then you put on the tape and yeah, he's a bit of a man without a country because on the edge, he's strong enough to set the edge and play decent run defense, but he's lacking that, you know, greater speed and athleticism to get to the quarterback Mm -hmm. and get wide. And then, but he would rush better from the interior, but when it's, not one-on-ones he struggles to to deal with double teams and you know kind of fight through the trash that way so um it'll be interesting to see 
what's the best situation for him. And maybe it is a place like Denver where Jason Strobridge for sure is getting the one-on-one. Yeah. You know, like Casey might get the double, Chubb might get the double, Vaughn might get the double. It sure isn't going to be Jason Strobridge who's getting the double. <laughs> and for a guy who can eat up one-on-one matchups on the interior, that presents some value on third day. That does. That does for sure. Um, and again, it's just fun talking through these things because there's so many different ways that this, this defense could go. And, and it's yep. so easy to say that, you know, you got fit into the Fangio defense, but there's so many little tweaks. Like, do, do you go after a big defensive lineman who will clog things right. up, will command a second blocker, and, and that's what you're looking for in clear passing situations? Um, or are you interested in going lighter, getting faster, trying to get more win potential instead of a guy who – you know, your your goal is to push the center, push the guard two steps back so that mm-hmm. Von Miller, Bradley Chubb have a better angle to close. They don't need to get so far up in the pocket. Like you're kind right. of just teeing them up for them. There's so many different ways that you can do that. Meanwhile, you, you get a guy like, uh, say, say AJ Epinesa, who, who has some edge ability. You put him next to Bradley Chubb, have Bradley Chubb and him on a stunt have yeah. him come around the outside. Like you think about those pairings, those two could work off each other perfectly. Bradley's so big. He can, he can be physical, beat up a guard and just push back oh, inside. Yeah. Meanwhile, oh, yeah. Epines is fast enough to run outside. If there's this kind of stuff, he has a, some edge ability. He just may not be a dominant edge rusher. So you can see all these different ways, or you go for a Zach bond and say, right. let's, let's, yeah. let's have a guy who we can throw it inside linebacker. And we're going to have a great blitzer at linebacker, or, or use these NASCAR packages, have him sometimes, um, you know, he's lining up in the A-gap. He could be dropping back in coverage into a short zone, or he could be actually rushing. There's so many different ways that you could build this defense and kind of fill it out. Um, right. Do you want to be more exotic, more diverse, more versatile, where, you know, we line six up on the line, mm-hmm. but of those six, four, any of the four could drop in coverage. Any of the four. four you want just a formation who we're going to line up, play you straight up because we know our four will beat your five more often than not. Because our four are Jarrell Casey, Bradley Chubb, Von Miller, and potentially one of these guys. And if not, Draymond Jones, who you're happy with. Totally. Okay. Um, I, let's, uh, let's jump to inside linebackers now. Um, Great. You know, top of the board – People call him different things. I call him an inside linebacker. Isaiah Simmons, um, he's not going to drop to the Broncos. I guess the question here is, how much are you willing to trade up to get him? If, if Let's just say a first and two-thirds is what it takes to get Isaiah Simmons. Do you do it? Yes. Yep. What about a first and a second? First and a second... I think about it. I, I need Vic on board. If Vic okay. is on board, then okay. yes, I'm done. Okay. Um, and again, does does he? What is his weakness? If you were to pick one thing, uh, his weakness. We've would heard be all the good things. If he's put into a conventional box of just a standard inside linebacker. Um, is he, you know, when you take away the ability to freelance, is he going to be physical and instinctual and that quarterback of the defense and consistent in his assignments, play in and play? Okay, that's a good one. 
because, you know, when we're talking about the different ways this defense could work, Isaiah Simmons, because he is so versatile, means that you can, it isn't just here's our four, we're going to beat you, or here's our six, two of them are dropping back, because he can do anything. So, so yeah. you have a guy like him, he's your inside linebacker. He can be your inside linebacker in that four-man front and cover the middle of the field, or he can be your inside linebacker in the six-man front and he can rush the passer or drop back. So, so that's that versatility play there. Let's just move yeah. along, though, because he's not going to be a Bronco. Cool. Uh, two other linebackers with first-round grades. We've talked about a little bit, but there's a chance the Broncos just go linebacker. You know, th- right. They, right. they like the guy that they've seen. Fangio likes his guy. Uh, Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma, Patrick Queen from LSU – likely later in the first round could even be second round picks um what's the intrigue with these guys what are you getting yeah kenneth murray uh what a just a stud of pure playmakers really physical filling gaps coming downhill great sideline to sideline athlete ran in the low four fives with great size and because of that four five while he wasn't used a lot like this at oklahoma the upside he presents in coverage is very promising uh, because, you know, he can do that, the, the little drop in zone and should have enough range to be an asset and an upgrade for a team like the Broncos and also is athletic enough to line up and uh, turn and run with running backs and tight ends. Because, uh, you know, four five two at that size with that physicality is really intriguing. Uh, while Patrick Queen is more of your – your modern linebacker, uh, he gives me a lot of Roquan Smith vibes in a lot of ways, who was a top 10 player drafted for Fanjo's defense. Um, and that's good and bad because he, he has the same strengths in that um, he can be just, you know, fly downhill, bat out of hell type deal because that athleticism really shines sideline to sideline, rangy in coverage, um, really intriguing with that. But he can also take bad angles and whiff on some tackles and, really didn't come along till the second half of the season wasn't even a full-time starter so he's raw and needs to be developed fully which one of those guys would you like better for the broncos defense we're splitting hairs but just just barely i would say kenneth murray um i i like to start from the physical he can do what a linebacker needs to do stuff and have that four five two ability mm-hmm. to build off of and upside and him in coverage. yeah totally. because you're splitting hairs and yes. that's how that works yeah. um that's right okay you uh go. that's kind of the those are the first round prospects you know yeah. maybe willie gay somebody goes crazy but i think third round is a oh. lot more likely than first round um yes. what's is, is is he your next linebacker up on your board is he your number four from Mississippi? no it'd State? be troy die oh wow interesting why oh, is yeah. that Yeah, I think Troy Dye presents um, a lot of the same advantages that Willie Gay does, who, you know, we've barely talked about, so maybe listeners aren't familiar. Willie Gay, part-time starter at Mississippi State, um, a guy who's had some off-field concerns, which are part of the reason why he didn't always start. But, you know, the tape's very intriguing, the way he was used. Uh, He moves really well, and then he blew up the combine running a 4-3-9 as a linebacker. Uh, So, the upside is tremendous, especially if it sounds like the off-field stuff is nothing too serious um, at the NFL level. But Troy Dye 
presents more physicality to me, much more assignment sound, um, and still some of that range and coverage and ability, uh, which which would have me much more uh, feeling a lot better about gambling a, a, a top 50 pick on him. Okay. Um, Troy Dye, uh, so, so he's, he's a big guy, six foot four. He was a safety before yeah. he switched to linebacker. You know, it kind of almost sounds like he's Isaiah Simmons light. Does, does yeah. that sound fair? Wasn't and he's Isaiah Simmons light, but at the same time, isn't that type of athlete and wasn't used in a variety of different spots the way Simmons did. Okay. So he doesn't like intrigue you as the like, Oh my God, he could play six spots on our back set. Yep. Because you wouldn't, you would never want him in a single high. Like you, right. you may want right. him as a slot cornerback, but I don't know. As what, a nickel back. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I don't know. Even I, then, I, yeah. But I mean, he's going to be an upgrade on Todd Davis in coverage as that middle linebacker. When you're like trying, okay, actually, let's start. Let's just have a quick Alexander Johnson conversation. Where do you stand yeah. on him? I think he's great. I think he was a revelation this year. And I think with those kind of those uh, more aggressive rushing formations, he's a huge asset as a blitzer up the A gap. And he's a huge asset as a run stuffer up the A gap. Exactly. And he's, and he's not, he showed enough good mobility and awareness to not be a complete liability in coverage. So, and he has the he, length to make up for some athletic deficiencies. Great point. Yep. Yep. Um, so when you have a linebacker like that, what are you looking for to pair with him? You know, you mentioned that he's a, he's a good run stuffer when you have that light front, that fast pass rush front. He can kind mm-hmm. of clean up anything that leaks through. Yeah. Do you want another guy who's cleaning things up or – would you want to go with a guy who, who has more cover skills? And if you do that, are you leaving yourself susceptible to giving things up? Like, how, I guess I, the question I already said was, what do you pair with a guy like Alexander Johnson if you're Vic Fangio? Yeah, you want more cover skills. I mean, that's a great point. And you're going to want, though, someone who's not a complete liability defending the run either. We're not just going to put a fifth safety playing middle linebacker. You know, we need, we still need the ability to stop the run uh, play well in those zones and kind of, you know, just in those underneath zones, as soon as you see something, you're flying downhill and you're hitting like a bat out of hell. And we kind of saw that over the free agency when the Broncos weren't in on, you know, uh, a Corey Littleton, a, a Joe Schobert, um, mm-hmm. uh, right. you know, Christian Kirksey can kind of play that way. Sure. Um, they weren't into somebody who can just cover. They want somebody with tackling skills. When you look yeah. through this whole board of inside linebackers, which ones do you like stand out to you as guys who you think could just be perfect fits? Like with Alexander Johnson, you just have your linebacking duo for forever. I think he could work really well with Troy Dye. I mean, that's kind of the perfect mix because we know how picky Fanjo can be. Yep. Um, yep. And he's not just going to settle. And then after that, I wonder, you know, is Marcus Bailey going to be enough of that cover guy to make it work? Mm-hmm. Is Akeem Davis Gaithers going to be enough of that run player to make it work? Maybe Malik Harrison is a pretty close match oh. to what they're looking for from Ohio State. And he he's another guy who's probably a day two pick. Maybe, maybe slips yes. into day three. Right. right. Yeah, right. 
more of a third, fourth than a two, three kind of guy. Yeah, and I think exactly. Logan Wilson, I know early on in the process, I said, I wonder if he's too redundant with Josie Jewell. I think he's a good enough of an upgrade in coverage and as a sideline to sideline athlete where Malik Harrison and Logan Wilson would both be kind of an ideal fit, similar to Troy Dye put next to uh, Alexander Johnson to a lesser extent, Francis Bernard of Utah. Okay. Um, you know, to me, this has been, I don't know, Alexander Johnson, I'm pretty confident. At, at worst, he is your second inside linebacker for years uh-huh. to come. I, I don't think there's any chance that you see him and you're like, ah, nope, he can't be in our 3-4 defense, our second guy. I think, oh. that there, I, I think that he should be the number one guy, unless you do bring in like a Kenneth Murray-type talent, then he, that type would surpass him. But I also think that, you know, they have Todd Davis for another year. Uh, They have Justin Hollins behind him. Maybe you do just take a year off from drafting a linebacker. Let Justin Hollins try to prove himself to be that next guy. Um, Right. See what you have in Josie Jewell. You know, I think that at this point you've kind of seen that he probably doesn't have the athleticism and he probably isn't just going to develop that overnight. But they do have a year to play with. and, And this could be a position where they say, hey, we can knock out so many of our needs this year. We can have our receivers set for next year. We can have our offensive line, maybe not set, but pretty close to it. Um, we right. can, we'll still have our running backs. We have Drew Locke. Our offense will be good. Maybe they say one of our holes next year is going to be at linebacker. And if we can't fill with Justin Hollins, we can fill it in free agency. We can, we can spend right. a first-round pick. Um, where would you like to see the Broncos draft an inside linebacker? What round? Which pick? I think round three is really where the value is going to line up. Okay. Um, Because all those guys I just mentioned, after the first round, guys, I think everyone other than Troy Dye is probably going to still be around. And maybe the Broncos do want to go with more of a a cover-heavy guy who they see as not just a future Todd Davis replacement, but a Will Parks replacement. And we Mm -hmm. kind of mentioned these guys a little bit when we were talking about the Kyle Duggars and the Jeremy Chins and you know Davion yep. Taylor fits yep. that mold Will Ga- Willie Gaze fits that mold Tanner Muse. There's Tanner Muse fits that mold right Kaliki Hudson kind of fits that mold um so you know even Jordan Brooks of Texas Tech kind of fits that mold. so hmm. yeah okay I, I think that's a good point and I think that I think that they could go, stand to throw another linebacker in that linebacker's room. Just have one more option for a guy who could pan out next year and just be your answer. At the same time, you could have a pairing. You could say it's it, Justin Hollins. He's a guy we like blitzing from the inside linebacker spot. We like right. him trying to get up the middle. But we want a guy who uh, is fast. Maybe Akeem Davis-Gaither. Maybe he can't play the running game the way we like. But right. we could throw him at linebacker on third downs. And we can we can oh, still throw a safety out there, and so they might they they have the opportunity to play that position by committee too, and just start filling out all these different roles that there are in this defense. Um, yeah, before, I'd be intrigued to see that. Before we stop talking uh, linebackers, um, is there anybody else you want to talk about here? You know, I like Justin Sternod very fast from Wake Forest. He could be a late round pick. Mm. Um, Jacob Phillips, the other inside linebacker at LSU. Yes, he flashes. He'd be intriguing as well, Phillips, for sure. That's a, that's a good name to put out there. Uh, your guy, Dante Olson, oh, and yeah. Evan Weaver. 
you know, Evan, I, I think in a lot of ways they kind of fit a similar mold, mm-hmm. Olsen and Weaver, because yep. they might be more athletic than we thought coming into the testing. And it shows in their ability to load up on tackles and always have kind of that closing burst to really bring a guy to the ground. Uh, the question with them is going to be what's their range in the NFL and are they true sideline to sideline guys? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, a, a guy like Dante Olson, he's just so big and, and he can jump like not nothing. You are, if you have Dante Olson and Alexander Johnson as your inside linebackers, you don't have to worry about the running game. Yeah, no, you do not. And maybe, you maybe can that's play the with one defensive tackle. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like maybe maybe that should be the strategy. Maybe yeah. you just say you guys have these short little zones. You don't have to take up too much. You know, you have Alexander Johnson who has a crazy length. Dante also very long has like the forty whatever inch vertical, forty two inch I think vertical. You know, yeah. that could be intriguing. Stop yes, the no, stop totally. the run. Have a pass rush. Have those short zones. Play. I don't know. I'm, it could be fun. I'm with you. So many different ways they could go. That would be like the least modern approach that you could have, though. Yes. Yes, it would. <laughs> it could work. I could see how it would work. Um, okay, before we jump into your questions, um, we want to talk just briefly about all of the uh, cool things that are going on uh, with the Colorado Raptors beat. So, Dre and I have talked about this a little bit on here before, but we have now watched rugby and I don't know about you, but I kind of understand the game a little bit now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, we're hooked. There's still a couple pieces where I'm a little fuzzy, but for uh-huh. the most part, after watching like the DNVR watches um, of the Colorado Raptors, which I should say, um, I don't know. I, I really like it. I really like no, it. It's great. It's, it's a great game. Uh, it's been lots of fun to watch and, uh, yeah, now there's a little uncertainty with them leaving the league, but I think, um, you know, we'll see what we do with the watches and everything, but we, uh, we've had a blast so far following the rugby and I hope that continues and we can keep doing all that. Yes, exactly. And Colton Strickler, awesome job on the DMVR Raptors beat. Be paying attention to that. Um, keep it out for the watches. They're a lot of fun. Um, and when sports comes back, we'll, 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 we'll be paying attention. Yes, you can say that again. Okay. Um, now, it's time for us to get into the questions, which is, as always, going to be the best part of the show. So hopefully you guys stuck around, um, and hopefully we can get through these quickly enough that Dre isn't late for whatever he has. Yeah, but <laughs> we, we can stretch it. We're good. Oh, good. It's not priority. We're stretching. Yeah. Um, Let's start with, actually, let's start at the bottom. That always works better. Um, first of all, the big Tabowski, who says, Morning, fellas. Loved watching the top 15 mock draft you guys did. Mace threw a curveball with Mims. Wasn't expecting that. I do like him as a player, and it's a pretty sensible choice. Alas, as a fan, it does feel a bit like you've gone grocery shopping, and all that's left are the brands of products you don't like. They're fine, but I want that organic smoked hummus I love so much, not the own brand processed stuff that is tasteless. Mm. That is actually very much what it's like, which is what happens at the grocery store now, and I hate it. Um, <laughs> enjoyed the Becton talk. Rarely do I disagree with Mace, but I'm totally with you on that one, Andre. He's 370 pounds. Sure, but he carries it well, doesn't appear to be overly fat, and didn't he run a five-second 40 time? Man, yeah. I'm sorry, Mace, but I don't think we'll even have the luxury of Becton at 15. If he's mm-hmm. there, you take him. 
No question at all in my mind. Like Lamb has moved to number one receiver for me, Becton is pretty much my number one tackle now. Although I have four so closely graded. What time are you doing these mock drafts? Would love to watch live so I can shout reach at someone. Um, so we're mostly, so let's see, the plan is to do those Tuesdays and Thursdays up until the draft. Yep. Um, they should be at noon. Yesterday yep. was at one because we are also launching the DMVR lounge at noon and we yep. wanted to be able to talk with everybody's in there. You guys should definitely be jumping in, by the way. Uh, that has been so much fun. Just hundreds of people who have the exact same interest, which is the Broncos draft, wanting to talk. Or, yeah, in my amazing. case, buffs, nuggets, whatever. So many cool communities. Also, like, the gaming and all that kind of stuff and whatever you want to talk about. But uh, there's that plug. Um, that's the schedule, though. They should typically be at noon on Tuesdays or Thursdays. Yep. Um, if not, then they won't be. Uh, Captain Hook says... I've heard many times that Patrick Mahomes is great against zone-heavy schemes, and if that's true, it could explain our defensive regression against them last year. So to reverse course and build our team to compete inside the division, wouldn't it make sense to draft a guy like C.J. Henderson? It could allow Vic to call more man concepts when playing the Chiefs and give us a better chance overall of slowing down their offense. And although Henderson hasn't played with a very sharp competitive edge, I've heard good things about his overall character, and that leads me to believe in the right environment and understanding of its necessity in a scheme like Vic's, he could be developed into an adequate tackler. What are your guys' thoughts about this point of view? Yeah, I think... Look, that's a great point. And searching for more versatility and more man, guys who can play both man and zone is definitely the way to go about it. I don't think that means C.J. Henderson's the end-all, be-all. I think Jeff Gladney could do that. I think Noah I could do that, and it's probably more raw, and there's more areas he can be developed in and present more value. Uh, Bryce Hall could even do that to some extent. Troy Pride Jr., I really like his skills as a man corner, and he has that physicality. Arnett, same thing. Terrell, Johnson, Holmes, they all give you more that tackling ability, but not the question marks that Henderson has on that end. So, yes, good point. That's not the end-all, be-all, though, with C.J. Henderson. There are a lot of options to play but cornerbacks who can be man cornerbacks pretty decently. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the scheme, um, you know, uh, Patrick Mahomes does tear up zone defenses. Like, he just has the perfect sure. skill set for – the modern NFL because we're seeing the NFL shift more toward those zone defenses. Sure. So like cover three match or matching quarters, all this kind of stuff and yeah. less man. And it's because there's been this emphasis on speed and uh -huh. that's still happening, obviously with like Henry Ruggs at receiver, Tyree kill breaking the game. And, and the reason you go zone against the speed is because imagine playing the chiefs with Sammy Watkins and Tyree kill your fastest cornerback is, is chasing Tyree kill around the field probably not doing a great job um your second fastest is going up against Nicole hardman or demarcus robinson right. or sammy watkins with your third corner going up against whichever one of those you pick and that's just really hard to do and so you're probably thinking then why is patrick mahomes so good against man that's totally unrelated or against zone that's like because he's also good at that. Like he can take advantage of, of those matchups where his receivers are just running away from cornerbacks, but also he understands the system and he can find little gaps just like you always right. do. And, well, and I, the best way to beat a, a zone is to hold on to the ball long enough, go off script and hit, you know, speed. Yep. Like you can only cover guys in zone for so long. And if those guys can extend the play and the Man. receivers can go long then exactly 
exactly. And that's why, I mean, you saw the Broncos, they, they had that defense where it was, we're going to cover for two seconds with all these guys. We're going to leave five back. It's all one-on-one. We're going to rush these six. Quarterback's going to be down. I think that, I mean, first of all, we're seeing the defense or defenses kind of move away from that, move toward more zone coverage, obviously. Um, but then also, I, I think that we're going to see a little bit reversal of this trend of really valuing a pass rush. You know, I, I think that it's, it's always going to be valuable, but at the same time, we're starting to see, you know, having a, a linebacker who can hold down the middle of the field in coverage, maybe that is something that's worth almost as much as a, a really good pass rusher. And I think those values are always just going to be changing. You can't go man against the Chiefs because they have the speed and also because then all of a sudden the quarterback can run. There's no way accounting for the quarterback. They're all looking at their man. And so with right. all the fast quarterbacks around the league, that's one more reason to not do man. Um, and so I don't think that you switch it. I think you say, yeah, he's really good at this, but you have to be really good in zone coverage and maybe confuse him a little bit and throw yeah. those tweaks in. And then meanwhile, drop seven guys in coverage and still have a pass rush. Right. You got to create pressure. At the end of the day, you got to create pressure. Can't allow them to extend plays. Yeah. So there's like a bunch of different ways you could go about it. That's how I feel, obviously. Um, but you could throw some man concepts in there. You definitely Total. could, um, especially on those blitzes. But uh, let's move on to Run Phil Run, who says, hey, guys, I'll make it short, sweet, and to the point today. How high can we get in the draft by trading 15 overall and one of our third-round picks? Would that get us enough to see one of the top three receivers? I do not see any of them falling to us at 15. I'm sure it depends on which third-rounder we offer. So could you touch on how each one differs? Thanks. Yeah, I mean, basically to get much higher than – 13 13's about where you could get away with just giving up one third round. Yep. Yep. That I think assumes all goes well. The Niners are down to, to move. They're not playing hardball or whatever. If I, I, I think that if you offered 77, like your first third rounder, yes. maybe you could get up to 12. I think it's pretty unlikely though. Right. I think, like you, it's the Raiders too. So if oh, I'm the yeah, Raiders, I'm true. making the Broncos pay a premium to move up to that spot. Yep. Uh, if that were a random NFC team, I, I think you could at least make the call. Like you wouldn't yeah. just get laughed off the phone. Right. Um, but then, yeah, it's probably going to take a second rounder or two thirds, like your last two thirds to get up to 11, 10. Um, right. And then I think once you're in that eight to 10 range, it's a non-starter unless you're not giving up 46. Yep. So. Yep. I agree. Um, Moving and that's along. like not just us off the top of our heads. That's like the math from the trade value chart. Yeah. Maybe you give up your last third and you can swap with the bucks. I don't know yeah, maybe, if you'd really want to. Maybe. I don't know. I, right. It's, right. It's, they're all conversations that'll be had, but that's probably what you're looking at. Um, Count Locula says, as we've seen the issues – Elway has had in free agency bringing in tackles and the money spent therein for a little return wouldn't getting a top cost controlled tackle outweigh almost anything else. I'm thinking we trade up for a top tackle, then trade back into the first giving up the second and even two thirds to get a top 10 wide receiver or just rolling the dice with Fisk in the second round and adding another fourth round receiver. I, I feel like we need to gift our quarterback with another Ryan Clady type. What say you love the count? Love it. Love it. I've, uh, 
I've been surprised at so much of the talk, even on our Discord um, and from the Broncos guys has really been, you know, the regular Broncos pod guys has really been centered around how it's kind of wide receiver or bust for them. Yeah. And we've kind of been the other camp is like, yeah, this is a great point by the count. Having a cost controlled tackle, those guys are really hard to find, especially if you're not going to use a first round pick. Like outside of round one, outside of the top 20, you're really going to have a hard time finding a true high-end starter at left tackle. Um, so, yeah, why not? Like if Becton dropped to them, I would pounce on that immediately. Yep. And, and you know, there, there are a lot of reasons why it makes sense. Um, but I think the biggest one to me is that tackles get paid so much that if you draft a second-round tackle, and he works out, and he's a fringe pro bowler, maybe just below fringe pro bowl level. You know that he's a starter. He's one of those guys that you just trust. You know what you're getting. You, you want him around for a while. That's the type of guy who still might reset the tackle market when he becomes a free agent. Right. That's the type of guy you'd probably have to overpay just to keep around. If yep. you're going to have to overpay to keep him around, maybe you do just say, you know what, we're taking Mekhi Becton. We're hoping he's an all-pro, and we're going to make him the highest-paid tackle in the game someday. But that's just how it works because it's impossible because there's such a shortage. You're overpaying eventually. Right. And it, you might as well get a guy where an overpay might just be market value. And so that makes sense. And also when you look at the way this team is built, I mean, obviously you get a tackle, it sets Drew Locke up for success. Um, I would still say that getting him Jerry Judy would set him up for much better success than Makai Becton. But the run game has the potential to be so, so good so quickly um, when you have Melvin Gordon, when you have Philip Lindsay, you know, we talked about in investing in Bradley Chubb, Von Miller, you better invest in Melvin Gordon after you spend all that money to bring him in. You better get him the best offensive line you can. I think that you have to draft a starting center. And I think that you probably should try to find a tackle who can take over if Juwan James, you know, knock on wood, gets hurt or Garrett Bowles, uh, knock on wood is still Garrett Bowles. You know, like that's just. Yeah, totally. I, I still lean Jerry Judy because I think that he is that type of talent. But if one of those tackles is there and you think that he's your guy, that's, that's a value pick. That's, that's basically totally. like getting a top five, seven, maybe like top eight talent at 15 is how you're feeling afterward. We're, we're laughing on the draft pod that night. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think about moving back up in the second to get a wide receiver? <sighs> I, I would be tempted again. It depends if you can, on the wide receiver, right? Yeah. It depends. It, it really does depend. Um, if, if you can move up using like one of your, your last third round pick or using a fourth round pick, then that's where that really gets tempting. I think there's so much value. Like I said, I think in the third round, you're hoping you're getting your starting center there. You're hoping you're getting your second receiver there. You're hoping you're getting a linebacker or a safety there. Um, and so just to, to say, you know what, that's a hole we are not patching this year because we don't have a top 100 pick to fill your safety job that you want to be filled so that you have even more flexibility next year to, to, to trade up next year. And that's really hard for me. But if the right guy's there, I could see it. Where I really like that is if you're moving down from 15. If, if this is the doomsday scenario and you're at 15 and you say, hey, there's five guys here that we think are values at 17 or 18 
Um, yeah. And then a couple more right behind him, but nobody would really like at 15. Then move down to 23. See if the Patriots want to trade up for a quarterback. Trade down to 25. Rack up some assets. Pick up a first-round talent that slips from 15 to there because, again, that's where the value comes from, from guys slipping. And if nobody slips to 15, don't just blow that pick because you feel like you should. Um, and then use what you got to move up maybe from 77 back into the second round or uh, move up from 46 back up into the first round. Yeah, I think I, that's close to a dream scenario for me. Like if those trade values line up, I mean, my dream scenario is that they have three picks and the last one of those three is 46. Yeah. No, and without, a- without just burning all of their third rounders, they still can fill their holes, get three more rotational pieces who could develop and again, not be, not be, holes next year so that you yeah, have even more flexibility next year yeah. yeah i don't know it's always Perfect. an interesting discussion though i um, love it tk freeze says how do you guys feel about brandon Ayuk? after the top three receivers i think he may be the best receiver for the denver broncos offense i would love to trade back and draft both him and lavisca chanel what do you guys think yeah, so I've come around to him a little more, watching a little more tape. Mm-hmm. I think um, there's, you know, that 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 speed plays up. Yep. He's got some quickness to wiggle open, um, and there's some areas where I can see gambling on his development to develop him into a route runner. And he already presents immediate value as a returner and kind of weapon with the ball in his hands after the catch. Uh, at the same time, you know, he's – He's right. He's firmly in the mix of that second tier of receivers. Justin Jefferson, Mims, LaVisca, Higgins, Pittman, even Claypool are guys I might gamble on before Ayuk. But then Ayuk is right there with Rhaegar, and a lot of the guys I just listed might not be as appealing to Denver. So I could see how you'd see him as one of the more intriguing pieces for the Broncos. Yeah. Um, to me, there's... I, I think that there's, again, different routes you can go when you're trying to build this offense. Right. With Jerry Judy, he's a guy who will be open. If he's in man coverage, he will beat whoever is trying to guard him. He is that good of a route runner today. In zone coverage, he can find the gaps. He will be open. With a guy like Ayuk, he's more of a guy who I think fits very well in like the Chiefs style of offense, um, where, where you're really just running. You're running to space. You're, you're trying to find room for yourself. He may not be the refined route runner, but he does have. He's just he's a very well-rounded player. I think. I think that you know, well-rounded. Yeah, that's a good point. He he doesn't really have the elite trait. I think the forty time doesn't really do him justice for his speed. Um, yep. But but if you're drafting Brandon Ayuk, you're saying okay, he's going to be open in two and a half seconds, which means okay. you can release at like 2.3 or whenever and and that's kind of pushing it do you have the offensive line to hold the ball can drew lock run around and you saw what Ayuk did when he had Jaden daniels as his quarterback at arizona state you know he was the perfect fit and and Jaden daniels was the perfect quarterback for him because as a true freshman he was running around getting buying time being able to get brandon Ayuk open and that's why brandon Ayuk almost put up 1200 yards you know that's more the type than the he's just an automatic open and so I think that you could go that route. I don't like that as much. I think uh-huh. if you can get a Jerry Judy, I mean, and well, that's sure. why Jerry Judy's a top 10 pick though, of course, right. because he is so polished because he can do, he can do everything that Brandon Ayuk does. There's nothing that Brandon Ayuk does that I look at and say, I wish Jerry Judy was that way, including the speed. I think, um, 
Sure. Oh, total. But uh, I still have like a Justin Jefferson type ahead of him um, because he is more of that route runner. Maybe you, you're confident lining up inside. I don't know. I, 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 I do think that there's a lot to like about Ayuk, though. Um, but he makes sense if you prioritize O-line as a second-round second target. And to add him and Visca, now you're really selling. And again, I like with, that a lot. With Visca, again, I think that he could fit in that similar way. You know, I've said for a long time, I think that he is a big slot. That's his type. And right, right. now, he has a feel for space. He has a feel for getting open in zone coverage. The right. route running, like, you think that he has potential because of how quick his feet are, because of the cuts, because of all the jukes where he just jukes guys out of his shoes. But again, he is more of that find the space, get to it, get the ball, and then get moving. And that would be a, a, an interesting fit with Ayuk. I think that it could work really well. Totally, totally. Um, but yeah, there's just so many fun ways that they could build this team, and that's what's so great about this time of year. Oh, yeah. Um, let's go with Bronco Gator. Uh, he says, hello, guys. First time for me commenting on the draft pod. Welcome. We're glad you're here. But I have a couple of nagging questions that I wanted to get your thoughts about. It is regarding ranking the top five quarterbacks and receiver prospects in this upcoming draft. For the quarterbacks, specifically Herbert, Love, and Tua, I've listed, listened to someone who is a former NFL quarterback who has them ranked two, three, and four respectively. So that would be Herbert, Love, Tua. That's the order. I uh-huh. only ask because I really don't want the Chargers or Raiders, if they're so inclined, to draft anyone elite. For the wide receivers, specifically Jerry Judy, this same former NFL quarterback says that Judy is outside his top five Number six, to be exact. I found this shocking since so many people have Judy as number one, but I see his reasoning. He says Judy doesn't possess any elite physical traits. He doesn't have elite speed, not the strongest, just an okay vertical, et cetera. What do you guys think? Until next time, Bronco Great Gator. Um, let's start well, with the quarterbacks. Yeah, quarterbacks. Um, we rank, I rank them to a Herbert Love with a wide gap after. Uh, frankly, there's a wide gap between all three. Tua. Yeah. Then a big gap, Herbert, gambling on upside and some of the safer stuff he can do. Like I could see him having early success the way a Wentz and a Josh Allen had success. Mm -hmm. Simplify things a little bit and their their talent and upside plays up. Um, And then Love, another notch below. Love might not even be my fourth best quarterback. Agreed. Have Hurts. Um, Yeah. Um, was really intriguing uh, because of his vertical, uh, uh, his vertical throwing ability and his accuracy deep. But the injuries are a true concern, and how far he drops will be really interesting. Uh, the more reports we hear, the more I think he could drop out of the top ten, mm-hmm. uh, because his camp keeps trying to show, hey, he's <laughs> actually in great shape. He's recovered yep. well. Yep. That's not so much the question: is what shape is he in now? It's what will he be playing in five years? Absolutely. Is this, is this an Andrew luck except this ugly ending happens even earlier? Total. A hundred percent. I think that's what they're looking at. Um, You know, you didn't mention Joe Burrow, but he's a unanimous number one. Um, Well, I guess we'll dig into quarterbacks next week. Um, Just a little teaser there. But for me, Joe Burrow isn't by any means a lock of a prospect, but I do think he's a lock as, like, you just have to take him. You know, with, with the concerns with the injury with Tua, you just have to take Joe Burrow. He has put up the best season of any college quarterback ever. I, right. There's the small sample size thing. There's the, he was on a national champion. Like, 
were they national champs because he was a quarterback or does he look better because he had Justin Jefferson as his receiver because sure. he had Clyde Edward Alaire as a running back because he had Jamar you know and, right, and right. Lloyd Cushenberry at center they, yeah that that Damian was Lewis at guard and Shadik Charles at left tackle right yeah and then the tight end Thaddeus Moss so right. there's there's so many questions head. there. I don't think he's a lock, but he has to be the number one. Behind him, Tua. Tua's still my number two, but I actually have him pretty close with Herbert. I wouldn't mind. If a team takes Herbert before Tua, I'm saying, yeah, I see it. I don't know that I'd do it. but It's uh, based off injuries. You understand exactly. the logic, certainly. Exa- yeah. Exactly. And I, I think I'm higher on Herbert as a prospect as well. The more I think about him, the more I realize he has a lot of the traits. He... Uh, He's played the quarterback position, played well. He's turtled in big moments. That's very fair to say. But at the same time, he has the arm strength. He has the athleticism. Um, he seems like a smart guy. If, if you can teach him your offense, I think that he could be really good. Um, and then Jordan Love, I'm not sure I'd put him number four either. Um, just because Jalen Hurts has the upside. And that's what's bringing me back to him again. I'd been so low on him for so long. I could just see that working out. You know, if... I think Jordan Love, again, a mobile player. He he can do a lot of those things. Um, when you look at a Jacob Eason, when you look at uh, Jake Fromm, James Yeah, yeah Morgan, we're just ranking the top four in the question, too. Exactly. Like, those guys aren't in that conversation for me because uh, they, uh, uh, yeah. you know, if they work out, then I think that they're just, like, good guys. And then right. you're paying them elite money because that's how quarterbacks work. Right. Um, so I'd rather take the – you know, I'll keep Love ahead of Hurts. But that's a very narrow gap, just like the gap between two and Herbert. Um, receivers. Receivers, yeah. Judy's my clear number one. He's, which is different than it was a week and a half ago. But the more uh-huh. I think about it, the more it's just like Jerry Judy. He may not have the elite speed, but he's, he's really fast. He's running away from guys still. Sure, sure. And, he's and, got the quickness. Exactly. And he has, I mean, those long legs. It just, uh, I just, I don't know. I just love watching him. I think that yeah. he he almost, and I know this is a crazy comp, he almost reminds me a little bit of Jerry Rice. Because I was going back and I saw some of Jerry long Rice legs. also with those long legs and those feet, and he's just always open. And he's fast. And maybe not the fastest, maybe like not the greatest jumper, but still does more than enough. And is just a great football player. And what matters is if you can play football, not if you can win a 100-yard dash. Right. And I mean, the fact that he doesn't have elite physical traits is something I was talking about months ago when I was saying I could see Judy dropping. Yeah, a bit. you called this. Um, I, I doubt he does drop because his combine was good enough. But certainly, I mean, that's the thing. That's why I've said Lamb and Judy, they're neck and neck. Ty goes to the higher upset. There's more margin for air for Lamb to reach his potential than mm-hmm. there is for Judy who really needs to check off all the boxes and be, you know, just maximize all, all that he's already pretty close to maximizing to really be that top five NFL wide receiver um, that we're projecting him to be. Yep. And I think that maybe without the vertical, maybe he isn't winning the jump balls for 50 yard touchdowns, but he's still catching six, six passes a game and he's keeping your offense on stock. He's just a guy to me who looks like it's, it's third and five. Guess what? He will be open at the sticks and you can pick up your first down because you have Jerry Judy. And that is so valuable in the NFL though. That might be different because he might not be surrounded by three other terrific wide receivers, a great line. And you know, so, and 
the catches is something I've brought up. That's where his physical, his lack of like elite physical traits might show up and making spectacular catches over the middle, being physical. You know, these are all minor questions that, mm-hmm. that are, are legit about Judy. Ranking him six, though, I'd have a hard time finding, you know, yeah. more than one wide receiver in this class I would rank ahead. Yep. For me, it's Lamb, Ruggs, um, at two and three behind him. Um, yep. Small gap, but a gap between him and Lamb. A little bit wider gap between Lamb and Ruggs. A quite a bit lo- wider gap between Ruggs and Jefferson, who would be yep. my number four. Right. And then a uh, narrowish gap between him and Mims. Yep. And then also Rager, Visca, Ayuk, T. Higgins. Oh, yeah. They're all they're all pretty tight there together, right, right behind. Yep. Yeah, and even Brian Edwards, KJ Hamler, Claypool, they're all kind of right there. KJ Hill, yep. Donovan Peoples Jones, like. Yeah. And again, it's based on what you want your team to look like. That's the difference between all those guys. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Um, my phone locked and isn't recognizing my face. There we go. Uh, next, I need a username. Yes, you do says, hey guys, so I've been stuck inside. I've been working through some draft scenarios, mostly thinking about early round one scenarios involving trades, and I've been using the draft pick value chart a lot, which has been really helpful. Problem is, it only shows this year's picks, which makes sense because those are the only ones set in stone. But I've been trying to work out a way to assign a similar numerical value to future picks, mostly 2021 round one and two picks with the same scale. Do you guys have any suggestions on how to do this or possibly methods or charts that you've been using to do something similar? My current method, if you're interested, is I've been assigning teams pick orders based on their post-free agent power rankings. And the 2021 picks receive about three quarters of the value of 2020 picks in the same position. Thoughts? Mm -hmm. Thanks for the exquisite draft coverage. Cole, you don't have to read this following part. Oh, we will. But I put it here for clarification how I've been doing the math. So for instance, the 32nd ranked team is the number one pick, which would be worth 3,000 this year, but next year that's worth 2,250 points or about the same as a number three pick this year. Uh, The first ranked team would get the number 32 pick, which is currently 590 points, but will next year be worth 443 points or the equivalent of the number 46 pick this year. Um, Yeah, so for me, I think you typically move it about around maybe a little bit less than that. Um, right. A future first counts basically like the 15th would this year. If the team's in that range, if it's a top 10 team. Yeah. Um, and the way he makes it, uh, so the way you're assigning value is pretty similar. Three quarters of the value of that same 2020 pick. But then I wouldn't go off the power rankings. You kind of set a standard like, if they're a bad team, we're going to treat this like the 2021 top 10 pick. Mm-hmm. If they're a decent team, we'll treat it like three quarters of what the 15th pick is worth this year. And we'll go from there. Yep. Yeah. Same thing with 2022. Then you devalue it that much more. Exactly. Because you, it's really hard to project who's going to have the number one pick, the number two pick. And because it's like right. the exponential chart, it's going to, it matters a lot. So yeah, right. I would definitely make sure you're not just assuming any one team's getting one. I would say I, I, I like the tiers, top 10, next 10, bottom 10. Um, typically, it seems like if, if you trade a third round pick this year, you can get a second round back next year. I would guess it's not a full round. So I think 75% of the value makes a, yeah. a lot of sense. So I think you're about on the right track there. Um, I love that question. That was great. Agreed. Um, 
Next is Elway for Prez. Given the relative success Elway's had the last two years with high character guys, college producers, team captains, etc., it seems almost a virtual, ha, no pun intended, certainty he'll stick with that model during this unconventional draft period. With less information than usual, I have to imagine most GMs will stick with the recent formula they've had success with. Given that, which of the much heralded tier one and tier two wide receiver and tackle groupings fit that mold? Those are the guys I'd anticipate Elway will target. When it comes to his current draft methodology, methodology familiarity does not breed contempt. Um, so you could run through and you could look at who actually is the team like captain. team captains, and that's one way of looking at it. Um, I will guarantee you that every quarterback that is draft el- or makes it into this stage of the process mm-hmm. is a captain on their team, and so there are like those skews. They aren't necessarily always the high character guys. It's really tough for us to say who those guys are because I guess like Dre has spent time with them at the Senior Bowl, um, but we aren't doing interviews with all of them really getting to know them. Right, right. Well, but I guess the point would be teams aren't able to interview as much, but still more True. than us. Yep. I know Andrew Thomas is a team captain. Derek Brown is a team captain. Mm-hmm. A lot of these stars you'll see in the first round have been team captains. Exactly. Uh, I know people, I'm, I'm not sure if he was a team captain or not, but I know people have said Henry Ruggs was kind of the alpha in that receiver room at Alabama. Um, so all these little things will factor in. But yeah, I do think that's going to be a point of emphasis. I've definitely tried to mark that on our different scouting reports in the in the draft guide as well. So check that out for yeah. uh, more, more in-depth analysis on all the top targets. Looking a little bit deeper, again, like, Van Jefferson is a guy who you would expect to be that way. Has like that background coach's son, refined route runner type. Right. Um, Davion Taylor, I can say from personal experience, is one of those guys. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. yeah so I do Dante Olson, I can also say. I would definitely say that about him. Cool. Um, but yeah, we should, I don't know, maybe we can run through and look. In terms of the groupings, that's kind of tough again, not knowing. Like I've never met most of these people. Um, no, I mean, but he's tough. saying if the top tier wide receiver and offensive tackles fit that mold, that's the grouping. I mean, I mean, we gave some names, you know, like CD and what have you. I mean, to some extent, would Visca fit that mold? I know Mims. Yeah. Mims struck me as a very like polished, sharp kid. But so, and sometimes it's not just you know that they were captains. It's Guys who are really impressive to talk about. I came back from the Senior Bowl last year saying Reisner and Locke were the most impressive guys I talked about. Exactly. And so it's like the thing, like Philip Lindsay, for example. Like, he was going, I mean, he'd probably be a team captain on that team just because of, like, who he's a player. But he actually was a leader. Like, he actually was all those things. And, And I think there's always a tendency to oversimplify things. Um, in anything you're doing right and 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 in this case there's this high character guy or not high character guy almost like it's a yes or no but meanwhile there's so many different types of guys like phil leadership qualities very high energy whereas visca is a guy who is more of that i don't know maybe demarius thomas type lead by example he's never going to take a snap off he's always like in that way maybe not a guy who's in there making speeches and, and crafting that locker room, it's very important to get all those different voices. And I think that that team captain push, when, when you get voices like Phil Lindsay, you get voices like Justin Simmons, um, voices like, you know, I think Drew Locke, again, maybe isn't that clear, like, 
motivator type, but, but it's about getting these different pieces that'll fit together. Um, right. I will say the most impressive guy I talked to at the senior bowl this year was Lloyd Cushenberry. So take that. Good to know. Good to know. He'd be a great Bronco, by the way. Totally. Um, all right. We got to speed it up on these last two questions. We're Might be one of those where we save a couple for, uh, for next week. Okay. Let's jump in. Um, let's see. This is a long question. So we'll save Avs Watch 22 for the next podcast, which will be okay. early next week. So it won't be long. Uh, hit Ubeni Lava, who says, Hey, friends, just wanted to say great to hear from you again, Big T. Welcome back, Big Homie. Yes. Big time. Uh, football question. I know that you two are very analytical and statistics driven and rely heavily on film when evaluating players, but do you ever get a gut feeling about a player? If so, has that feeling ever been correct? Just a random thought. I think you're, you've been doing this longer. Who's a, who's a gut feeling guy. Maybe somebody who didn't have the numbers, didn't have the tape, but you're just like, huh, I think it'll pan out. I mean, I don't know the, the gut feeling guys though. You have the, you have the info to back that up too, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. so it's not, it's gut feeling based off like this guy checks off all these boxes. I don't get why he's not being talked about more, but I've got a gut feeling that because he checks off these boxes, he'll prove me correct. Austin, Austin Jackson. Eckler, oh, Austin Eckler. Another very good one. one Austin Jackson. Uh, maybe um, that's kind of an early on okay. feeling. Um I think Javon Hargrave was one of my big, like, I was really high on him. Had a first-round grade on him because the FCS production was very high-end. Um, mm-hmm. And he's been a decent starter. The production hasn't been great, but he just got a fat contract. Um, so I guess in that sense, I've been proven right. He's definitely a, a high-end starter for how mm-hmm. he's getting paid, so he justifies my first-round grade. Those are a couple guys that come to mind. I'm sure there's... There's a bunch, but you know, it used to be more of like it was really a gut feeling of my guys. Now it's just like we're we're playing the odds, and you know, I am I, I get it a little more. Like, there's no point in getting too attached or caught up with one player. Yeah, and I don't have many of those guys because I'm new to this, so I haven't been right about any of them yet. Um, right. I will say if if Davion Taylor and Dante Olson pan out, those were those are some gut feelings. I'll put that it. out there. But also, here's an interesting note. Um, I'm actually not that into the analytics stuff, the statistics stuff. And I wouldn't say like I'm anti-data, but at the same time, I, almost, I, I come at it from kind of the other side more often than not, which is probably a surprise given what I do here. But I'm very much more about like fit and like that type of thing than, oh, right. six interceptions, okay. Or uh, baseball in particular. Baseball is the one where those numbers just drive me crazy. Hockey too. It's like, well, and, but you've also explained how, you know, you've done the research and trading, trading. Exactly. Exactly. Have, so there is some analytic driven. Very true. Yeah. And there's like, there's a place for each piece. And I try not to overweigh any one piece, especially right. when like, it's kind of like that has become the trend because Andre made it cool. Now everybody's like <laughs> jumping know. into that side of things. But yeah, I don't know. I think there's always like, it's, it's about finding the counterbalance to everything instead of being able to find, you know, I don't know, whatever. That's a good place to end. Sorry we didn't get to your question, AsFan22. Um, we're recording a Zoom call, so I actually yes. don't even know how long we've been doing this. Oh, um, wow. Feels long, though. And so we're going to save that for the next show when we'll probably have the same problem with having a lot of questions. Uh, when we start talking about, is are we doing, I think it's offensive line and tight ends next. 
Oh, fun. And then after that, it's skill positions. And then it's draft week. Crazy. But we'll be back early next week to do this again. As always, we appreciate all of your questions. We'll get to all those. Um, If you leave them for us in the comment section on the post for today's show at thednvr.com. And uh, we'll talk about those whenever I'm on Dre's schedule. And I can't remember if that's like Monday or Tuesday or something, but it'll be right around then. Appreciate all of you for listening. Hope you're enjoying all of our draft coverage and we will see you then.